The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Jim Debu, Executive Secretary to the Governor. He was appointed in January. Jim, thank you very much for joining us today, and we wanted to gossip with you, which is what we do with everybody. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my first podcast, so, so be, be gentle. <laughs> oh, no, no way. No, no. This will be a hit. No, no. I'm um, so here's the first question. I saw that release uh, that the governor put out, governor's office put out in January, and uh, you're call you were named executive secretary. Now it's asked after the chief of staff, Anna Leary had left. So I assumed you were coming in as chief of staff, but the very careful wording of that was your executive secretary. So I, I guess my first question is what exactly are you doing over there? So I, I think the jobs are very similar, but it, it was it was done intentionally. And and for those you know kind of history buffs, the, the actual title of chief of staff has always been an executive secretary. Uh, and and that started years ago. It's actually the paperwork it, it, it randomly that that I that I signed coming in. But the reality was it was to create a distinct difference. And you know I am the executive secretary, but my partner truly is Ana Montesantos, who's the cabinet secretary. And that was kind of the uh, when the governor, you know, when we were talking about coming, when I was talking about coming in. It's been a long time since I I was in state service. And wanted to make sure that there was kind of a yin, yin, yin and yang, I guess you could say, between the two of us. So Anna and I, I, I think we complement each other really, really well. And there, it was, it was, it, it was intentional that I came in as executive secretary, and not chief of staff, to show that there was a true partnership between the two of us. And, and she's sort of a, I take it she's sort of a policy wonk. So she's doing a lot of policy development. She's got the, uh, the bureaucracy essentially. She's basically managing the bureaucracy. Uh, you do, you've got quite a portfolio and you've got external communications, uh, legislative liaison, it sounds like, uh, external affairs. Um, so you're, you seem more the political beast and she seems more the policy beast. Is that fair to say? I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and that's you know, my background. My background in both in the private sector and when I was in the legislature prior to that was more on the political side. Uh, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, Anna, Anna, if you sit with Anna and talk with her, she's probably the brightest policy person I've been around in my career. Um, and she knows government inside and out. Um, so we, we, I think we make a pretty good team together, but it's not just Anna. Look, there, this, this office, if you look at it writ large, Ann Patterson, the legal secretary, Angie Way, the legislative secretary, Catherine Ramirez, the appointment secretary, Keely Bosler, the finance director, and 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 the uh, the secret weapon that not too many people really focus on is Dee Dee Myers, who came in to be GoBiz yeah. director. This is um, truly I'm the only guy, and this truly is it really is an administration that has very very powerful women, which is the which is the look of California, is the future of California. So I'm I'm happy to be here, but it's not just Anna and myself. We have a lot of people who play huge roles in the administration. Somewhere right now, Sean Dressel and Andy Tate are very excited to hear that. Shout out to California. (laughs) It's true. We have an ulterior motive asking you about, um, you know, about the the inside over there. Because we do this thing called the Top 100. It's truly pathetic. But, you know, the truth is people like it. 
Yeah. Uh, every year we, you know, it started over beer in a bar, but now we're, we're very serious about it. We try to be semi-serious. And the, the premise of the top 100 is that it sort of start, these are unelected political players, and it sort of radiates out from the governor's inner sanctum. So our thought, you know, when Tim and I work on this thing, our, one of the thoughts we have is that if we can figure out how the horseshoe is put together and go out from there, then we'll have a better shot at figuring out how the other 80 people on this top 100 or whatever it is. <laughs> so how would you rank the top 100, the, the hierarchy of the horseshoe for our top 100? How would you rank it? I, I would not I would, putting you on the spot or anything. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would flatline it. The the names I just mentioned, they're all equal. I mean, they're all you know. I would say we're all we all do the same thing. But look, yeah. that that staff is uh, that I just mentioned at a at a very high level because there's so many people that work here. Yeah, uh, they're all in the mix for whatever you know. Look, if it's the budget, it's Keeley. If it's politics, it's probably me. If it's policy, it's 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 Anna. Um, Didi's just like, she's like the Swiss army knife for us. She's the go biz director. But when you have a talent like that, you can't help but have her involved in, in, yeah. in strategy. So, I mean, you just got a lot of different folks. So I'll let you guys decide what that looks like. Uh, <laughs> I'll safely uh, disengage from that conversation. But I think from a perspective of a governor's office, I um, mean, all of them have operated differently, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm the new guy, right? So it's it's a little different um, because I've been here now five months ish. But then I've been a, I've been in the sphere for for longer than that. But truly, I mean, there's a lot of very good uh, and powerful is not the right word, but uh, folks, but but people in that that senior level staff that have really operated at a high level for during a really really rough time. And I'm 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 part of that now, but I, I certainly wasn't here the first couple of years of that. But those folks that I just mentioned. They're really, you know, they're integral parts of the administration. And I think the the thing that I I've, I like is every day you learn. I learn from people, and you miss that sometimes when you're, you know, in your own. At least in my 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 private sector life, wasn't learning things almost every day. The people around us, we all are so different that you learn quite a bit. Which is that's the fun part of doing this job. How's well, the, the political piece of this uh, playing on? Obviously, there's a, the recall thread is out there. Uh, it, it hasn't qualified for the ballot yet, but it probably will, sure. uh, at least in terms of the signatures that apparently have been gathered. So it probably will be on the ballot in November. Uh, and so that's obviously something you would have to work, worry about as a political you know, person and following that stuff. How does that play out campaign wise? Do you put that together? Do you have other people? Yeah, there's an outside campaign. Look, I, well, this is what I'll say because I'm the state guy too. Yeah, the outside there's an outside campaign apparatus. Uh, Juan Rodriguez is a campaign manager, you know, and 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 uh, those folks are are running the campaign. But from a perspective of the politics of everything, it is it. Uh, you know, my job is to make sure I can kind of see the chessboard um, and and take the the electoral piece out of it. Politics is politics, and there's a lot of different things that are happening. Whether it's the budget, whether it's reopening, whether it's, uh, you know, how you're dealing with COVID, all of the bigger items and what are the policy and politics that you have to put together uh, to, to walk yourselves through that. And the best way, like, look, I, the, 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 elec- the election is going to happen at some point in the future, but the best way to deal with anything from my perspective, and I think the governor shared this before, is, is governing. And if you're doing a good job governing, 
and all this other stuff becomes kind of you have to deal with it, but it's white noise compared to to what you, your job is. And the thing that I will say about the governor that I've been most impressed with, and he and I knew each other going into this, but we weren't, you know, we have a deep history like some of the other people um, that uh, that that he's worked with in the past is his resolve right now for governing is at a very, very high level. And I appreciate that because, you know, you get into some of these sometimes into positions, hard positions uh, where you've got a lot of different things happening. I mean, these guys have been through, you know, the first year of any administration is rough. Second year, they're in the middle of COVID. Third year, you're in the middle of, and let's add in wildfires and all the other pieces. Third year, you have a, you know, possible election and you have COVID and the locusts may be coming and whatever other natural disaster could happen. And he's had a really a solid resolve and drive about governing. And, and that to me, at the end of the day, take politics out. You know, and I, people can say what they want to say about who I am or who Anna is, you know, from a perspective of what we both do well. But that part of it, I think, is the most important piece is that if you focus on governing and you're doing the things you need to do to help people come out of the pandemic, uh, make sure that they have all the resources that they need to get back on their feet, that you're planning for that next step, that you're talking about what's going to happen in education and learning loss, and you're addressing those big items, um, then that's governing. And then everything else takes care of itself. Do you, um, do you go into the office, into the Capitol and work now? Or have you been working from home or is it a combination of the two? How does that actually play out? Every day. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think... Um, <laughs> Most days I come in the office. Uh, I think there's a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting place. You know, they're going to tear the Capitol down here. It sounds like in the next year or so. Um, so this, you know, that we will probably be the last administration that works in the suite that was, uh, uh, you know, that Ronald Reagan was the first person who sat in the governor's chair, right? So it's it's dated wow. office, but there's a lot of history here, good and bad. To good. clarify, you they're just tearing down the annex. They're not actually the, the annex. I apologize. Capital. Before this, we send panic waves through, uh, yeah, through yeah. the preparation community. <laughs> Apologies, but uh, but there's a lot of history of this office. So, I mean, it is, it, there are some, you know, you, you know, you sit uh, in an office that's had, again, history, both good and bad. So I, I actually, it's one of the things I actually enjoy is being able to be here. We all work from home a little bit. We follow our state guidelines uh, through, and I won't get too into the weeds on this, but through CalHR. But uh, we have folks that are that are that are still, um, uh, you know, doing uh, telecommuting, and I think that's going to be a little bit of the, the wave of the future. But um, I always say this about politics, especially working for elected officials. It's kind of a team sport, and when you're together if you can have that camaraderie. And I think, you know, coming in for me too, when I came in in, in January, we were all on Zoom. That's a really uh, disengaged way to start that job. Uh, with, you know, so I, so I, my hope is we get to a place where we can have safely, uh, uh, you know, s- some folks in the office um, and we can start, uh, you know, doing the meetings uh, together and start plotting together again. You, know, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, the governor has, Lots of folks he's known for a long time. And when I look at the recall, which I did cover originally, the first one uh, involving Ray Davis, it was clear right from the get-go that there weren't a whole lot of people that had been close to him for years that he relied on to help him sort of circle the wagons, you know, when the recall uh, recall developed. Newsom doesn't seem to have that problem. He has more more of a cadre there who are, who he's known for a while and are loyal to him. I think that's a big you know, that's a big part of it. And another thing I uh, 
just looking at both of these because I see comparisons in print about them, but they're quite different. These two, you know, efforts are quite different. And the first one, there was an overarching, overriding um, civil um, problem with the meltdown of the electricity market. It was absolutely, it, it overrode everything. And, and Davis's handling of that was a problem. Newsom's handling of the pandemic, there've been a couple sputters, but I don't see that that's gotten him in any deep trouble, except for the people who adamantly want to recall him and they, there would be anything they would recall him for. It, it just doesn't seem to, they, they don't equate. And you know, as I look at it, I think he's, it's, he's not gonna get recalled. And of course there's no Democrats stepping up, at least not yet. And there was back in whenever, 2002, 2003, um, they they seem to be very different. So politically, your chore or the campaign firms you've outsourced, their chore is a a lot different, I think, than the first first time around. I don't know. What do you think? Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, look, I won't, again, I'm going to send the state guy, stay away from the electoral piece of this. So, so, but what I will say from a perspective of like looking at governing, (laughs) Um, COVID in particular, it, there was no playbook for that. It's not like you could walk up. I mean, I, I guess you can, but like and say, oh, the, on my bookshelf, there's the 19, whatever, the 18 Spanish flu or whatever. You pull it down and say, this is what I'm supposed to do. So COVID, I think um, we learned so much and I'm still learning about how to deal with a pandemic of that size. But what I'll say at the end of the day is we came in, we got the lowest case rates Vaccines started off slowly, and now we're one of, I think, 10 states that crossed the 70% threshold. We're, I think, the largest state. I mean, those are very impressive things that then launch the reopening of California. And, and to be able to do that safely and try to stop kind of the, the, the up and down um, surges, which, again, had such – I mean, I will tell you, like, one of the things that, of this job is you see every decision you make, you know, I call it the third, a third, a third. A third of the people love it, a third of the people hate it, and a third of the people are indifferent. But when you're making decisions that some people are saying are very onerous – but then you go to a hospital and you see an ICU that's filled with people, it yeah. changes the way you view things. So from a pandemic perspective, I think he's done, I think he has done a great job. The governor has, and, and the folks in the administration of dealing with something that no one ever had to deal with before, how that is affected, you know, how that affects to the elections and all those other pieces, you know, again, I'll let the other pundits opine on that and the campaign folks, but uh, you know, th- that part of, you know, the, the, the folks uh, overwhelmingly, and this is all public information, but, you know, th- that have uh, decreed that he didn't do a very good job. It's very clear who those folks are. It's not this worldview yeah. of, you know, so, and I, again, I'm going to st- walk right up that line and stop. But, but I think if you look about how he handled the pandemic, just that one specific thing, um, I think they, the state, he, the, the public health people, the governor's office, the legislature, they've done a good job. And they deserve credit for that piece of, try, of, of getting people through it and out. And again, when you're in a position where every decision you make, every single decision, you kind of got that third, a third, a third problem. And that's really hard. And not very many elected officials have to go through that on an almost weekly basis. And he has. Do you have any estimate, any ETA when we're finally out of this? Uh, things really do get back to I know the June 15th uh, day is coming up, but when we actually can go out and relax and go see a movie with a bunch of people or go over to some bar and hang out or something. 
you know, I think that becomes almost like a personal privilege. Like I, I know for me, I'll always be a little apprehensive walking into like a movie theater. And if somebody coughs next to me, I'm going to kind of jump, but there's yeah. others that are going to be like, Hey, I'm good. I do think June 15th for consumers, like for people who are, it will feel like freedom. Um, and, you know, from a perspective of, Hey, this is over. Uh, but I think that's going to be personal. It's almost like you got to get, it's going to take a couple months for people to fall back into their old practices and feel comfortable. Um, I think that, you know, getting into like one of the big things is getting into the new school year. And, you know, we've made it pretty clear that we, we fully expect folks to be back in person. Um, that'll, I think, give parents at least and, and folks that are in that sphere um, a lot more uh, normality, I guess, uh, that they're going really, really going back uh, to, to their normal lives. So I think I, I'm, you know, this is just me as a, as a person saying my opinion. I, I would assume that people feel better about this in August, September, like where it's like, oh, this really is kind of going away. Now, the reality is COVID is never really going to go away. Uh, the, you know, we have the vaccines now. It's, it's like the flu and it's going to be here to stay. Um, and you just have to, you know, hope we've done enough um, and, 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 and the, the, the populace has done enough to protect themselves from it moving on. But from a mental perspective, for me, at least, I would say August. That's probably when I'm going to be like, oh, you know, this is good. And my kids are back in full time um, in person. And uh, this feels this feels normal. This feels normal. You know, it's weird. It's like, kind of like wearing a mask now. <laughs> I'm out there all the time. You know? Covers up the gray beard. Maybe she cut that off anyway. But it's nice being out there, uh, feeling a, a little bit protected. Yeah, I coach my one of my younger sons. I coach his little flag football team on Sundays. It's just this little rec league. And, you know, we don't have to wear masks because of, of uh, you know, I'm vaccinated. And uh, uh, but I wear one and it, more for like allergies. I mean, it's just that I, but yeah. I feel comfortable wearing it now. And I'm just I just wear it. So anyway. It's funny you say that because I, I have terrible allergies. You know, I live in Sacramento, like probably the worst place in the world if you have allergies. And years ago, I figured out that if I was going to do any yard work, my wife and I have a big cactus garden and a bunch of trees and everything. So there's the never-ending gardening. Uh, 10 years ago, I started wearing a mask if I did any outside yard work because it might would ruin my weekend. I'd, I'd spend two hours on a Saturday morning and then I would feel terrible the whole rest of the weekend. And so you know, wearing a mask is a little bit second nature. I didn't wear it out and about, but if I was doing anything, you know, if we were pruning the cactus garden or going through and, and moving trees around, I'd absolutely wear a mask. And now it's funny that I see a lot of other people doing that. Uh, I think other people have figured out through wearing masks over the last year, like, Hey, this actually has some other benefits. It totally does. It totally does. So it's, it's yeah, 100%. One of my friends who he used to, you know, we get on planes and he always would have a mask on and he'd always be wiping things down. I actually was talking to him last night and he said, now you thought I was crazy. Now it's, this is what it's going to be like, you know? And he's like, I never got sick. And that's, what we so. um, you know, hopping off to another item, uh, the budget, what can you tell us about, um, What's going on with the budget? What is the size of the reserve as you see it or the surplus of money we got or the resiliency fund or the rainy day fund or, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think uh, the budget itself, I think it's a, it's a very interesting place to be when you're in a position where you have an influx of, re of dollars into the state at the level that we do right now. And I will say the last couple of years, 
uh, clearly before my time. So I, and, and, and even into the Governor Brown's tenure, both the legislature and the governor did a good job of preparing for a downturn. Um, and so, we, you know, being uh, flush with cash is, a, is, a, is kind of, I think, a, 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 a weird and unique place to be in a year where you actually can do some transformational things. Um, the budget, I think what also has been shown the last couple of years um, is that, you know, very blue state, but we have, you know, uh, legislature, supermajority of Democrats, uh, governor, Democratic governor, they've done pretty big things over the last couple of years in the budget process. And at the end of the day, there's squabbles, but there's always agreement. Um, and I think it shows that uh, the, in particular with the, with the speaker and the pro tem uh, leading the, the houses uh, that, that we can do some pretty big things. And I think this year is very unique um, because we can address some of the bigger challenges that no, that the states had that no one really has ever been able to attack in such a big way and and use kind of this immediate need to you know go and help recovery for small businesses uh, and families golden state stimulus checks in people's pockets small business grants to get you know small businesses back on their feet we can actually really start to confront homelessness uh, with uh, project uh, home key and room key uh, uh, and to try to end family homelessness um, uh, with with rental support and prevention, um, and that the big dollars with those things too. And then Clean California, which is um, uh, you know really gained geared at trying to help change the the state. If you go out and, and governor does this a lot, it's a, we call it being you know kind of the mayor of the state in certain respects, but seeing all of the of the dumping that's happened over covid at and it's very it it's it sounds interesting but when you see it you understand it cleaning up those thoroughfares and trying to to revitalize some of the areas of the state that have been really hit hardest um uh is is a, is a really innovative and, and unique opportunity and then you get into education being able to proposed universal pre-K been talking about this since I was, you know, I started in this world in 1998. We've been talking about it since then. And now we actually have the ability to do it. That's a huge deal. Um, college savings account, infrastructure investment. We're talking about broadband. I mean, who ever thought that we would have the opportunity to have, you know, six, $7 billion that we could use for broadband in one year. I mean, that's one thing that you would hope to do. That would be a huge accomplishment in one year, but yet it's one of the many things we can do. And then the biggest piece I think that'll confront us moving forward is wildfires, climate change, and being able to do the things that uh, we need to do to protect uh, from wildfire prepare. And wildfires are rough because you can never really you can't stop them. So you, you can only try to mitigate the damage that they, that they're, that they, that they're doing, but we've done a pretty good job the last couple of years of, um, of, of protecting, um, of protecting structures and, and communities from wildfire with the money that's been invested from, from the legislature and the governor. But then the other side of that, which is we got to get climate change under control. And we all know that the biggest emitter of air pollution are cars. And so driving to this zero emission vehicle place where we can get these cars off the roads, make sure we have the investments so lower income Californians have the ability to purchase those cars and do all those things while keeping a strong rainy day fund uh, and a reserve and continuing to pay off pensions and debt. Uh, and that is the budget for the year. So well, I, I, I feel sorry. good about where we sit. Uh, one of the budget fights, it always comes up when we have a, a lot of cash, 
is do you spend on one-time programs? Do you spend on programs that could encumber you over time? And the thought, as I understand it, there are a number of Democrats in the legislature who want, want long-term programs. They want them in place and established, but that sort of contributes to the roller coaster aspect of the budget. So you, when you have the extra cash, you spend it, but don't encumber yourself over time. Do you have some notion about what to spend one time and what to? Um, yeah. And if you look at where we've landed and this is a, you know, this will be one of the things that we sit at the table and discuss, but one time is always in our opinion, a better way to look at budgeting than ongoing. Um, and, and I'm not to make too many, uh, comparisons, but if you look back, um, in that kind of 2003, 2004-ish area, there was several years or several during the dot-com boom where the state's revenues, because personal income tax just were off the chart. And then it was, you know, a recession. And then, so you watch these bar charts and you see, you know, finance has these, if you ever want to go back and look at some of the former uh, 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 May Revise or budget, you know, charts, but it looks like, you know, this very steady increase. And then all of a sudden you're in the negative and ongoing. If you go ongoing, you, you risk that. So I think the, the administration's view and, and we're going to you know, stick to our guns on this is that one time is better. Now, again, we've got one time that you can spread over two or three years. So it's not ongoing forever, but it certainly allows for some of these programs to either begin or to go from begin to completion. But yeah, we'll, we will always be in a, in a place uh, in this budget as well, where one-time funding is a more um, advantageous place for, we think for the state to be. So when that inevitable cliff that Governor Brown always talked about comes, we're, we're prepared and we don't have to go in and do what we did when I worked for Speaker Perez, which was these drastic cuts and then raise taxes at the same time. You don't want to be in those positions. That, that, that's the hardest part. And the, and the legislature, this legislature, a few members might be left, but they're, they're coming from a place where they never, they haven't had to do that before. And that's a very, very difficult thing to look your, your friends and, and some of these really, really great programs and look at folks in the eyes and be like, like we have to cut this now. So protecting yourself from that, making sure that you've got a really solid rainy day fund um, and you're able to keep the solvency of the state. Those are really, really important things. So we're going to I think that's so if you hear what I'm saying, it's yes, one time much more advantageous than trying to do ongoing programs. Uh, Jim, just one last question. Uh, What would you like to see if you had to pick one thing? What would you like to see have happen? In terms of policy or politics before you leave the position you're in now, what would you like to say you did before you check out? Great question. That's a great question. So, you know, you take these jobs and um, you, you work, especially when you, you know, you work for elected officials and you try to check what your personal passions are at the door, right? Like that's not your, your, my job is not to come in and try to advance my agenda. My job is to make sure that the governor's agenda is advanced at all at, you know, at, at every Every move. I will say this. Um, I really care about children's mental health and uh, veterans. And I think there is quite a bit this last year for kids, including my older son, who was he uh, goes to a public school here in Sacramento. um, It was very disconcerting to watch the mental health aspects of those kids. And he's got two parents. My wife, you know, 
especially with this job, um, she's helping and, and, you know, like the CEO of our household and she, she helped me run my former business. Those kids, my kids struggled. And so I can't imagine what it's like for other parents, for kids who are in less fortunate positions. So bolstering mental health for kids, which to me, most kids under 12 don't have a lot of access to mental health services. And it can become a very, very, you know, it can affect them the rest of their lives if they're not caught early. I, I would love to walk out of here and feel like I had a little bit of a, 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 a you know, my finger on the scale of helping to make sure that there was money that went to children's mental health. Now, what I will say is this budget has quite a bit for that. Uh, and that, um, Truly, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, it, it, it's not like I feel like I uh, had a lot to do with that. I think Secretary Galley did, but it would make me, I, I could, uh, heart full if, if, if that piece of the budget was done. And then I think there's more to do, but that would be one. And then with veterans, my dad was a veteran. Uh, he was in the Korean War. My best friend was killed in Afghanistan. He was a Green Beret. Um, and so I always care, especially about the folks who come back. Uh, and they are a large part of our homeless population. And even my dad had, he had horrible PTSD up until the time he died. So uh, the, the, everything we can do to make sure that those folks are taken care of, that would be my other thing. So those would be my two personal passions. Um, but I just think there's so much right now that we're doing to address a lot of those issues that I feel, I feel personally, you know, you feel prideful when you see uh, the things that are in the budget this year, because everybody talks about the budget and, 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 the, and, and you know, the, the uh, people outside of this kind of narrow world don't understand, you know, it's, we talk about it as uh, the budget, but really is. And, and I, I know it's probably trite and been said several times before, but it is the morality of the state. That's where you see the programs and everything that you're trying. You see those policy pushes to the place where uh, the governor and the legislature want to go. And I think there's so many really powerful pieces in that budget. But again, I'll go back and being long-winded here, but uh, children's mental health and veterans. Great. Jim DeBoo, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. And now we're going to talk about uh, the person who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And by consensus, I, it sounds like um, it sounds like that gentleman on the Huntington Beach City Council. Well, not anymore. Th- yeah, that's right. Uh, who left abruptly because he just was sort of fed up. Tim, I know you've looked at this. What do you think? What happened there? Uh, well, uh, Tito Ortiz. Now, interestingly enough, Jim, you can weigh in here. You actually knew who Tito Ortiz was years and years and years ago. Yes. Uh, so I am a big, uh, my, my dad was an amateur boxer, so I grew up boxing. So I really like MMA and Tito Ortiz was one of those, you know, former, I think he was the uh, light heavyweight champion in the UFC for several years. So yes, I wow. know who Tito Ortiz is before he was Tito Ortiz, the city councilman. So, wow, this guy, so he's athletic and he's tough and he's got all the things I would think that would enable you to sit through sort of the slings and barbs of a city council meeting, but I guess it got kind of intense down there. Does anybody know well, what exactly I, happened now? So my read uh, from following the news on this is that uh, he had come in in November. Uh, so he's only been in office. Uh, I think he was seated in January. So he's not been in for long. Uh, he had run on a very conservative message. That is apparently his background. Um, he is quite a conservative person politically. And 
he right off the bat got into some trouble because he didn't want to wear a mask uh, to public events. He sent his kids to school and, and refused to let them wear masks in school. They got sent home. Uh, I believe he has also gone on the record to not be a believer in the, the efficacy of the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. And uh, I believe he also said something about COVID being a hoax. So all these things which... <laughs> did not play well, even in Huntington Beach, which, you know, if there's a place in California where that might play well, I would think Huntington Beach would be one of the runners up for best, uh, most popular place to spout those kind of views. But it, those, they did not go well. I know he got thrown out of a restaurant down there for not wearing a mask and was complaining about that. And then people came to the defense of the restaurant and said, hey, this place is great and you're wrong. And this is, you know, they have a right to to handle their business however they want. And you and the government can't tell them what to do, which sort of flipped the script on them a little bit. Um, and so the beginning of this week, he just came into the city council meeting and said, I've had it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Well, at least we have something to talk about this week. Yeah. This guy was a good subject. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, Tim DeBoo, thanks again. Tim, well, I, thank say, I did want to say one of the things really interesting is you, you never know the whole story. You know, what do they say? Uh, the rest of the story. The rest of the story. Right. I, I'd never heard of, unlike Jim DeBoo, I was not an MMA fan, although my dad, <laughs> fanatical boxing fan his whole life. Uh, so I grew up watching Channel 19's boxing uh, in Spanish, which I didn't understand a word of. But, uh, you know, we watch that every week, I assure you. Um, so I, I'd never heard of Tito Ortiz, but I did look him up after you know, this incident where he left and he had a really compelling backstory. He, uh, uh, his dad was first generation immigrant. I think his mom was also an immigrant from, uh, from I believe France and maybe Portugal, but uh, apparently both of his parents were heroin addicts. And so he grew up under some very difficult circumstances and was, uh, catching fish and selling them on the Huntington pier to get by when he was a little kid. And then was, uh, sort of, discovered by an old friend who helped him get into athlete athletics and turn his life around and, and really a compelling story. And it is, you know, again, it's always uh, good to look at the shoes people have walked in before you make decisions. So yes, Tito Ortiz had a terrible week this week. Uh, you know, gave everybody the finger. Well, not, I don't think literally gave everybody a finger, but basically gave <laughs> figuratively uh, gave Huntington Beach the finger and went on his merry way. But uh, I think he'll recover just fine and probably will be uh, back in athletics and other things and, and doing fine. But this week, I think he was a good fit for the worst week in California politics. Right. Jim, you know more than me. Does that sound? Uh, is there anybody out there we missed that you you know who had a terrible week? Had is I think he was married to Jenna Jameson who is a former adult actress. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was Howard Stern's favorite star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you really uh, do know more about Tito Ortiz than... Yeah. Hey, look, I followed MMA. I really liked him and a guy named Chuck Liddell, who's from San Luis Obispo, who was uh, one of the first original fighters. So there's a... Yeah, no. Uh, uh, yeah. That, but yes, he uh, Tito Ortiz, sometimes, uh, you know being able to tap somebody out is, uh, and staying in that, that, that realm is probably, uh, would have been a better week for him. Yeah. Well, and you know, and so he did go, uh, after he kind of sorted his life out, he went to the university of Bakersfield. So he does have a Bakersfield connection. If he decided to relocate there, he could make a run for the McCarthy seat. So Kevin, if you're, uh, if you're listening, maybe encourage Tito Ortiz not to move to Bakersfield. That could be a problem for you. You know, you never know. I think that I think his message might resonate equally well with with Bakersfield. Uh, well, as a CSU graduate, that's good to know. That's a <laughs> quality. So, 
Well, well thanks again, all of you, for the only podcast that mentions Jenna Jameson, Tito Ortiz, Kevin McCarthy, and uh, CSU Bakersfield, I think it was. So thanks you all for participating. Jim, thanks again. Tim, thank you. And um, this is John Howard saying we will talk to you next time around. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.